Okay, we are in Matthew 27, so you can flip there. We are getting close to the end of Matthew. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 31 this morning. We're calling the sermon, The Road to the Cross. And uh, since it's so many verses, we're going to read it like as we go. I'm actually just going to read the last like five verses right now, and then we'll pick it up at the beginning after I pray. So I'm just going to read verse 27 to 31, and then we'll pray. Matthew 27, verse 27 says this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your perfect, holy, living, and active word that we have this morning. Thank you that you speak to us through it. Thank you that this is the sword of the Spirit. And so we just invite your Spirit this morning to come to make this word living and active, to speak to us, to convict us, to lead us to Jesus. And God, I just pray this morning we would have a a fresher view and appreciation of the cross and what you did for us. That Jesus, when we were just, just like these men, rebelling against you in love, you died for us. That you would just help us to just have a fresh wonder and sense of the love of God as we look at the cross. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Okay, so I'm one of those people, I really love concerts. Like, I love concerts. And I will endure. Here's the thing. People don't tell you this about concerts. When you go to concert, they don't tell you about the hours and hours and hours and hours of suffering you endure until the actual concert begins, right? Like, usually you're driving somewhere, and then usually just traffic gets more and more and more because everybody's going there. Then you get there, and you forget that you have to pay for parking, and so you, you pay extra money for parking, and it's like horrible parking far away. Then you walk, and you're standing in a line and they're like scanning you and then you go stand in another line and they check check your tickets and then you're just standing in a line because there's so many people trying to get in and then you are standing in line to pay for food that is so expensive but you have to eat and then you stand in line to go to the bathroom and then when you finally get to your seat and if you're like me I don't like sitting I like the good seats in the front you're standing for hours you're standing for hours after all this and then you're you're there's some opening band who you don't even know and they're not that good and you're just like waiting like when is the band going to come and then they leave and then another opening band comes and you're like oh my gosh it's been so many hours and then at like 10:45 the band finally comes on and here's the thing here's what I love about concerts you forget all of that the moment like you feel the kick drum in your chest and you're like, there they are, whoever it may be, it's like the best night of your life. And so it's so good that you forget and then you just keep doing it and you just keep enduring. And every time I'm like, why do I come this early? Why am I here? But that's just what happens in concerts. And, and here's what I will testify to. All the suffering is worth it when you finally get to see the show that you came to see. All the suffering is worth it. Now I say that because 
we love Jesus, right? We're here, we love Jesus, we love following Jesus. There are amazing parts to following Jesus. All of our sins are forgiven. We're gonna live with him forever and no more pain or sorrow or suffering. There are so many good things to Jesus. But there's like this thing about following Jesus that we kind of like either forget about or like we're embarrassed by. We're like, oh yeah, that. That is the cross, right? Like we love the Lord and we love all the good things he does for us. But then we're like, oh, but the cross. And when you're wanting someone you love who doesn't believe in Jesus to know about Jesus, the first thing you don't tell them about is like, hey, listen, when you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself and suffer and die. And it's going to be awesome. Like, that's just not, we're kind of like embarrassed of the cross a little bit. And, you know, there are so many amazing parts to following the Lord, but there's like this thing, the cross. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Like the cross isn't an optional thing for persecuted Christians. Like the cross is for all of us. And the cross is the central part of what Jesus came to do for us. And the central metaphor, Jesus says, this side of glory is a cross. That's what we have to look at. And Jesus even said, hey, count like, you should count the cost. If you want to follow me, you should make sure, you should know what you're getting into in advance because there's a cross you have to carry every day. And so as we look at these verses of Jesus picking up his cross, going to the cross, on the road to the cross, we're going we're gonna to look, we're going to like, in a sense, walk through these verses following Jesus and say, okay, what does it mean to follow him? What does the road to the cross look like? What does it mean for me as I follow this man who ended his life on a cross? And so we're going to look at, uh, start to the first two verses of chapter 27. We'll read those together. You'll definitely need your, need your Bible open because I'm just going to be referencing this constantly throughout the whole sermon. So Matthew 27, verse one and two says this. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. So if we just stopped right there, what is, what's on the road to the cross? Well, the first thing we need to re- recognize on the road to the cross is that the, the road to the cross will always lead to rejection by others. That's just part of the road to the cross. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. These were like the religious leaders and the government, and they were conspiring together against Jesus. Yet that is something that we too will face. If you want to follow Jesus, their rejection does come. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, I love he starts that way. I think we have it. I think we have it, Reynolds, yeah? No? Second Timothy, do we have that verse? It's cut, yeah, okay. Indeed, for sure, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus on the road to the cross. And what's happening here when all these leaders are, they use the word over and over again, take counsel. They take counsel together. They take counsel against Jesus. What's happening in these two verses is something that David prophesied a thousand years before. It's in Psalm 2. We're just going to read a few of those verses. This is what David said is going to happen to Jesus the day of the cross. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's that? Everybody? Jesus, yes. 
let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. From like day one in the Bible, when somebody wants to follow Jesus, they receive persecution. Cain and Abel, a worship setting. Abel received, he was rejected by his brother. You walk through the Bible, people who want to follow the Lord receive opposition from other people. And Jesus here is modeling for us, this is part of what it means to go to the cross. And here's the thing. The Bible has a really unique, totally un-American perspective on persecution. Okay, when, when we hear our religious liberties are being taken from us, you know, what's our response? We're like, well, well that's wrong. What the heck? We have, that's not okay. Guess what the Bible says it happens when your religious liberties are taken? Luke, Luke 21, Jesus talked about this. He, this is what he said. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Okay, this is what Jesus says is is, going to happen. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Do you know the word Jesus likes to use for persecution? Hey, opportunity. You should be excited. What an opportunity you have to be persecuted. And honestly, as Americans, we're like, we haven't had many opportunities. Like, we don't really know what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus views when you are mistreated by people, this is your opportunity to do what? To bear witness. Like, what an opportunity to tell the world about Jesus, who went to a cross, who was mistreated, who was persecuted, and did not fight back. This, when we are mistreated, it is an opportunity to bear witness to Jesus. That, I mean, who says that? that it, we never hear that on the news. We never hear a politician say that. Jesus says, when you are mistreated, it is an opportunity to bear witness. And here's what I love about the Bible, because this happened to the early Christians. This literally happened. Like they were put in prison. Every single apostle except for one died, was murdered because they followed Jesus. And one day Peter and John were like cruising into the synagogue and they healed a guy, but it was on the Sabbath. And so just like Jesus, the, the rulers were mad at him. They, they set him aside. They said, you can't do this anymore. You can never talk about Jesus. And they let them go. And John and Peter are with the early church. Just picture this. Picture if this was our church meeting. Guys, this is what the, the, the government just told us. Let's pray. That was church. And then in Acts chapter four, we get a glimpse of their prayer. Okay, look what happens. This is them praying after the government says, don't talk about Jesus. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I mean, even pause right there. Sometimes I wonder, why don't we see healings? Why don't we see signs and wonders? Well, this is of such a different context than our day to day. Like they were getting persecuted. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, I'll help you out right now. And then look what happens. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Just picture that happening right now. Like literally. This is, this, is a, this is history. This happened. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Man, sometimes I wonder if we're ineffective because we're not persecuted because we don't have to suffer. And, and like to be, our, for our prayer meetings to be shaken and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're like, let's go preach the word of God with boldness. That was their perspective 
on persecution. That was their perspective on their religious liberties being taken away from them. And this is just simply what it is to follow Jesus. And here's the thing. Our culture is not looking like it's heading towards Jesus in general. What an opportunity we have to join our brothers and sisters of all the church, of all the world throughout all the years to like bear witness about Jesus who went to a cross and suffered. Like that is Christianity. And so the first thing we notice on the road to the cross is, man, people are going to reject us. We shouldn't be surprised. This is our opportunity to be filled with the power of God and preach the gospel. Now, let's look at the next stage on the road to the cross, verses 3 to 10. It says this, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel, that same phrase, and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah 700 years before, saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Okay, what we should notice here is on the road to the cross, the road to the cross requires of us true repentance. Like we get such a joke of repentance in that little picture. Like we we get the religious leaders who are like, oh, we can't use this money for the temple. So we got to go buy a field because it's blood money. But they are the ones who like hired the guy and paid the hitman and like have blood on their hands. But they're like, oh, we can't put it in the temple. Like that is a sham of repentance. And then even more tragic, we see Judas and we see what false repentance looks like. We see when someone just feels bad about their sin, but they don't bring it to the Lord in true repentance. And on the road to the cross, we will face every day two options with our sin. Do I want to have this false repentance and try and cover it up or feel bad about it? Or do I want to like repent? Do I want to repent and bring my sin to God? Those are like on the road to the cross every day. What am I going to do with my sin? Am I going to just feel bad? Am I going to cover it up? Am I going to do some religious like, oh, that's, that's not good? Or like, am I going to go to, to Jesus with my sin? Uh, when, when it said here, Judas changed his mind, uh, in, that, in the ESV, it said changed his mind. I think other translations say like he felt remorse. Um, the Greek word for changed his mind, I think we have it up, is metamalomai, which means remorse. And that's actually a different word than what the Bible has for repentance, which is metaneo. So don't be fooled by Judas's bad feelings of what he has done. He is not repenting. He simply has remorse. And the Bible talks about, there's kind of like two categories. You have real repentance, godly sorrow, and then there's this worldly sorrow. And that's something that we're going to face every single day. And, and Paul said of this in 2 Corinthians 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation 
and leaves no regret. Man, how good does that sound? No regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And we see that literally happened with Judas. His worldly sorrow, his remorse brought death. And I think what's so helpful is right before this story of Judas, in chapter 26, we have the story of Peter. We have the story of Peter's fall. And we, we see the difference. It's, it's so valuable to study Peter and Judas together because they both followed Jesus. They were both apostles. They both denied Jesus. And yet one takes the road of worldly sorrow and one takes the road of true biblical repentance. And we see the end of their life. We see the fruit of their life. One hangs himself and one becomes a pillar in the church, like repentance that led to real fruit in his life. And so we're just going to quickly look at what's the difference between worldly sorrow and repentance? How do I know every day on the road to the cross, am I really being honest and am I really repenting or am I just feeling bad? Well, here's, here's how I'd say it. Worldly sorrow is a work of your own emotions and feelings and flesh where repentance is a work of God. It's a work of the spirit in you and it like won't let you go. Worldly sorrow is mostly sad about their consequences of their sin. Like, dang it, this is going to make my life inconvenient. Where repentance is mostly sad that I've rebelled against my God. Like, take the consequences as they may. I've rebelled against God. Like, that is repentance. When you sin, are you thinking, oh, man, this is going to suck? Or, man, I have sinned against my God. And then as the Bible says, the, the, the difference between worldly sorrow and repentance is worldly sorrow leads to death. You like go away from the Lord and die. Repentance, do you know what, what you do when you're repenting? You go back to God with your sin. You take your sin to the Lord and you find life. What a difference that is. And then as this verse says, what is the fruit? What is, what is, what's the outcome of your repentance? Again, we see Judas hung himself and Peter became an apostle. In, in Matthew 3, John the Baptist said this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You can tell someone's really repented. You've really repented when your life has changed and your relationships are getting restored and you're walking with Jesus more than before. Um, when I was 15 years old, actually, let me take a drink of water. I, uh, my dad and I decided to run a marathon. So I was running track and I'm kind of just built as a runner. So we're like, okay, let's run a marathon. But I was 15 and we're like, is this too young? I don't know. You had to be 16. We lied on the papers and we trained and we went to run a marathon. And we were training and it was fine. And we did like 20 mile training runs and it was miserable, but like we can do this. And uh, one of the rules my dad and I had was like, okay, no matter how tired you get, like at mile 20, it's the wall, it's miserable. You just suffer until you, you like, just eyes are closed and just endure until you get there. We, he said, we're not gonna walk, okay? No matter what we do, we're just not gonna walk, okay? So just, you can do the like, the slow run is forever, but don't, slow, just don't walk. So like we hit mile 20 and you're in so much pain. And I remember I couldn't even look up and it's just like, Mentally, just take another step, take another step. And I run by this like full grown man in the fetal position in the gutter and he's like moaning and he's going, oh. And I just remember running by him like, oh my gosh, like, is that gonna be me? Is he gonna die? I don't know, I can't stop, but I have to keep going. And I just ran past this guy. Now here's, here's why I say this. Um, actually, just to end the story, I passed out and I woke up in an ambulance at mile 25 and I never finished. But anyways, another marathon's coming. The metaphor still works. Here's my point. Here's my point. 
following Jesus, the road to the cross, it's a marathon, okay? It's a long life on the road to the cross. And as we begin, like if you've ever been at a marathon, there's like 20,000 humans every, like you're just like, you're like, you're just, you can't even move and you get started. Everybody's stoked to start the marathon. Who's not, who's not, you know, you're not in a bad mood. You're feeling fresh. You're like, that's kind of what it's like when you start walking with Jesus. And as you go, you will see people like kind of fall away or stumble and fall, or you yourself will stumble and fall. And what makes the difference is if you can get up and keep running. Because here's the truth. We all stumble and fall. We have all been in the gutter post-following Jesus. We have all been there. And if you haven't yet, it's coming. We will all probably be there again. The Bible says we all stumble in many ways. But what a Christian does is they get up and they bring their sin to Jesus, and they repent, and Jesus says, I forgive you. That's why I came. Let's keep running. That's what a Christian does. You will see, and we've seen probably many stumble and fall, and then like, where'd they go? I don't, I don't, you know, like that happens too, but a Christian, when they stumble, they repent, and they bring their sin to the Lord, and I think there's two ways that we repent falsely that we see in this text. Number one is we just punish ourselves. That's what Judas did. I feel really bad that I just sinned, so I'm just going to punish myself, and I'm going to go do whatever that may be. And we see, it, we see where that led with Judas. And do you, know what, do you know what we need to hear when we're trying to punish ourselves? We will never punish ourselves enough but Jesus was punished in my place. I don't have to punish myself and God actually doesn't want to punish me either. Jesus took my punishment. So when I fall, I'm not just going to sit here and beat myself up because Jesus took that for me. It's already done. It's already been punished. So hear that when you're trying to beat yourself up, like you are not worthy enough to atone for your sin. Don't beat yourself up. Look to Jesus who took the cross for you. And then the other thing I think we do, and we see it in these priests, is we do this weird religious thing. We're like, oh, I'll make it right. I'll make it right. I'm just, I'm, you know, I won't do that anymore. I'll cover myself up. I'll justify myself. And if I just do enough stuff at church or if I just, you know, read my Bible extra, then I'll feel better about my sin. Like that's, that's false repentance. Bring your, bring your sin to Jesus. And do you know who we see does this is Adam and Eve. When they sinned against the Lord, they ran from him. And then they realized they were naked. And this is their idea. Man, we're naked. We need to cover up. Let's get a lot of fig leaves and try and cover ourselves. Now, imagine you're naked and you try to cover yourself with leaves. Like leaves aren't the most thorough covering. Like there's for sure, have you seen a fig leaf? There's like holes. Like you, you, you're not covered in fig leaves. And that's profound because when we try to cover ourselves, we look foolish. And people are like, I can see you're covering something. Something's not right. And God, what does God do? He goes to them, he kills an animal, and he covers them with new robes. He says, let me cover you. Let me cover this mess. Stop trying to cover yourself with your religious games. It, it doesn't look good and it doesn't work. Let me cover you with the righteous robes of Jesus. You see, when we truly repent, we are far more covered and loved and safe than when we try and do our own thing over here. So that's the next thing we see on the road to the cross. We learn to truly repent. And like, I don't know, let's be real. That means like actually telling people our issues. It means like literally people in my life know how I struggle. 
people in my, my life know the last time I did whatever it may be. Like for real. Like what if we did that? Like what if we confessed our sins to one another? Because we knew like we have the blood of Jesus and we're safe. And what if we didn't just leave church like, you know what, I, people don't know me and I'm just covering myself up and I leave. Like what a bummer co- comfort that is when we have the righteousness of Jesus over here that we can offer to one another. So what if we actually repented and actually confessed our sins to one another? That's the next step on the road to the cross. Then we're going to look at uh, verses 11 to 14. It says this. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, listen, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Okay, Jesus teaches us here something that I am terrible at, that we, I think, honestly don't think about ever. The road to the cross sometimes requires us to close our mouths. Do you know that? You know, it's part of the cross. Do you know there are times when we are fully justified to tell people, man, look how I'm right. Look what they did. But the cross says, I will close my mouth. I don't need to defend myself. I am fully justified. Jesus was fully justified. And yet he kept his mouth shut because that's what the cross does. That's what Christians do. I don't need to justify myself. I don't need other people to think a certain thing of me. I'm justified in Jesus and I can receive what people don't like about me. I can receive lies and accusations. I don't need to defend myself. That is part of the road to the cross. You know, maybe we'd suffer less if we spoke up. You know, maybe we'd feel better about ourselves. but that's just This is not what Jesus shows us to do on the road to the cross. And then here's another one I think is really profound for us in our culture. Um, There's a time when truth, biblical truth, Jesus says, hey, there are times when that's like like, uh, pearls before swine. Like there's actually a time when we're not supposed to be the truth warriors and like take the truth and like beat down the world with it. Like, look how you're wrong. There is a time when Jesus was asked direct theological questions and he just kept his mouth shut because he knew they don't, they don't want to know who I am. They're just trying to trap me right now. We see Jesus do this throughout his whole ministry. Jesus, what do you believe about this? And he's like, and he, he's like I know this is a trap. Sometimes he answered and by, towards the end of his ministry, he just stopped answering. That's very different than like someone genuinely wanting to know truth. That's very different than the disciples. And they're like, Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus was really straightforward with them, but there are times when we need to sense, have wisdom to be like, this person doesn't really want to know the truth, and I don't need to like, I mean, listen, I love people who feel righteous anger against the sins of our culture. We should feel that way. But there is a time when, man, 1 Corinthians 13, you're just a noisy gong. You're just a noisy gong. And I think there have been many noisy gongs in the church in America People, they're saying right things, but like, why, why is this not right? Why is this not clicking? Why am I not attracted to them like Jesus? There is a time, Ecclesiastes says, to speak and a time to be silent. I think that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, 
hear me, that's not cowardice. This isn't like, oh, I don't want to tell somebody who's wanting to know truth, like, but I don't want them to know because I don't want them to think bad on me. That was our first point. We, we got to be bold and speak the truth. But there are times when we're like, just need to be wise. Paul said in Colossians 4, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And I just think we could grow, I can grow in like, no, it's time to shut your mouth. Go the way of the cross. And I think a helpful like, question we can ask ourselves if we're in a scenario with like a neighbor or friend or somebody who doesn't know Jesus and they're asking us something, we need to ask, okay, what most resembles the way of the cross right now? Am I just afraid? Am I trying to protect myself? Am I afraid to tell them truth? Well, then you should probably go the way of the cross and tell them the truth. Or, or does it seem like this is aggressive? This is not going to be helpful. Maybe the way of the cross is like, hey, how's it, like, how can I love this person right now? Maybe sometimes we need to be wise with our truth. Then we continue on the road to the cross, verse uh, 15 to 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And then, and they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Which is a ridiculous question, right? Who do you want? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Husbands, just listen to your wives in general. Verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Actually, let's read to 26. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. I think what we need to see here are, are two things. On the road to the cross, we have to get to a point where we realize, man, I am Barabbas. I think that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Like we have a truly guilty man. He was a murderer. Like just, just pick someone in our culture who has blatantly murdered people. He was on death row. He deserves nothing but rejection from society, from God. He's not sorry for what he's done. That's just, that's Barabbas. And then you have Jesus, the son of God, who has only ever healed and given life and fed and loved people. And if there is anyone who deserves anything, it is this innocent man, Jesus. And yet the chains come off of Barabbas. And Jesus goes to the cross. And one pastor points out, hey, there were three crosses on the, the Mount to Calvary. Probably the third one's for Barabbas. And yet Jesus takes the place of Barabbas. And this ridiculous exchange, it demonstrates for us the gospel. That is a picture 
of the gospel for all to see. A man who has done nothing to deserve God's love. He has not done anything to deserve it, goes free. And Jesus, the innocent son of God, is punished in his place. And here's the truth, and and we have to get here. Man, I was like Barabbas. Like, I literally deserved nothing but to be condemned for my sin. I am actually guilty before a holy God. I'm actually guilty. And I didn't pursue God and I didn't seek him. I was, while I was in my sin, God came to me and died for me and said, let me take your place. I will be punished in your place and you will go free. And to be truly born again, like, there has to be a moment where you're like, man, I knew I was Barabbas and now I'm free. Like this doesn't, this is crazy. This doesn't make sense. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I don't have chains on me anymore. Jesus took them for me to begin on the road to the cross. Like the entry gate is repentance, acknowledging I need God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I have nothing to offer but my sin. David had that moment when he was in adultery and Nathan said, you are the man. Peter just had that moment when he denied Jesus and Jesus looked at him and Peter knew, man, I am guilty. Like we have to get to, that's how the road to the cross begins. It starts like I was Barabbas. And not only are we like Barabbas, we're like the crowd. And and we have to realize that, man, Jesus has only been good to me. He's only provided for me. All I have is from Jesus. He's fed me and taken care of me and loved me. He's maybe even healed me and done miracles in my life. And yet when the pressure is on, I've denied him. I've gone away from him. When, When I'm tired, I go to this thing for comfort and not Jesus. When, when I, and it's morning and, and I have an opportunity to meet with him, I say, you know, I just want a little more sleep. I don't really want Jesus right now. How many times have we been just like this crowd who went away from Jesus, who has been good to us and just gone with what was easy in the moment? And then look at the irony of verse 25. It's crazy. Verse 25, and the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. And it was, like they are guilty of, of, of killing Jesus. And you know what? It's on us too. Like, like I have the blood of Jesus on my hands. My sin, it was literally my sin that put him there. Like from this last week, that was, my hands are, are bloody from the cross. I have Jesus' blood on my hands. And yet, in the economy of God, the very blood that we have shed has the power to cleanse us and forgive us and wash us white as snow and purify us and give us life. The very act of rebellion against Jesus led to the greatest act of the love of God where he poured out his blood for the sins of the world. And so though our hands are guilty, we can come with our guilty hands to Jesus and his blood washes our guilt away. It's, it's crazy. His blood makes us clean. The blood that we shed, that like we, me made that blood happen, it has the power to purify us and forgive us and make us holy and righteous before God. 
And so how crazy for us to have the blood of Jesus and then run from Jesus and try and like wash it off on our, on our, like it's like we need to run to Jesus with our guilty stains and say, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm just like Barabbas. I'm just like the crowd. But will you cleanse me? Will you make me whole? That act is the beginning of the road to the cross. And thank God that Jesus carried the cross that we could never carry, that rebels like us could be forgiven. And so I have to say, man, I think the cross is worth it. I think it's worth it to follow Jesus down this road. Like where else am I gonna get my sins paid for? And as it said of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Man, did you know there is real joy set before us at the end of the road to the cross? Like eternal life and joy. The source of joy is at the end of the road to the cross. And it will be worth it. It will be worth it to be mistreated and to deny ourselves and to have to confess and repent of our sin because there is joy waiting there. Jesus is waiting there with his hands open saying, come to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so as we worship right now, like we really, we actually have an opportunity. I said, you know what? Thanks, Jesus. I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna go my way. Or like, Jesus, I confess and acknowledge I am not enough and I need your blood and your grace and your mercy. And, and take like what the spirit is putting on your heart. Like, man, like that's guilt. Like that's, that's some blood right there that I shed of Jesus. Like bring it to him right now. We're gonna have communion to remember the cross. Like we're gonna worship Jesus. And so let's take advantage right now. Let's get on the carpets. Let's pray. Like, like let's actually confess to the people we're with. Like I need Jesus. I don't wanna cover myself because Jesus loves us enough and the cross is worth it. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your cross. Thank you for your love. That when we were yet sinners, just like Barabbas, you took our place. You walked up, you got the chains off us and you set us free. And Jesus, I just pray that we would, we would see that it is worth it to follow you down the road to the cross. That we would trust that there is real joy there. There is real life there. That, that you are worth it. And I thank you that there's real joy set before us. And even now, Holy Spirit, you can bring joy where we are and where we need it. God, I just pray for just a radical move and work of your spirit right now. That we just bring all of our whatever that we have to you, Jesus. That we wouldn't run in our own strength or, or think we got it. Like we bring it to you, Jesus. And that we'd experience real life and forgiveness in your presence that Peter said, man, repent that times of refreshing may come. Jesus, I just pray for more repentance than ever right now and just more refreshing than ever. We genuinely sense your presence and your nearness. That you look at us in love like you did to Peter, like you restored him. You walked with him all the days of his life, Lord. Just minister to us now as we come to the foot of your cross.